0: Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you, but no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we are meeting by visiting solely S O L I church.com rest in Jesus Christian. Good morning. So seated. It's been a while. Um, it's been a while. But it's my privilege to uh, kick off this second season in the Gospel of Luke. If you can turn to Luke chapter 1, I'll be covering verses 5 through 25. It's Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Let me read this for us, and then I'll pray In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled, when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bury his son, and he shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for you will be great before the Lord, and you must not drink wine or strong drink, for he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And you will turn turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and you will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedience, disobedience to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I'm sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that. Okay. those who want to be somewhere else, and I hope that's not the case during the sermon. But the reality is, we come into this season, um, this Christmas season, I'm, I was reminded as a child of how long the year took to go by to get back to, like, my birthday, right? Or how long the month of December just ticked on waiting for that day, like, eagerly waiting for Christmas Morning, those calendars, you know the calendar, like the, uh, the little uh, campaign thing, you move from each day, it's just like brutal as a child watching that thing, like never move, it took forever, right? Well, I also remember as a child, uh, school, you know, having that three-month-old, you know, the project that's due in like three months, and it's like there all of a sudden, right, you wake up in the morning, and it's like Brian Reagan, it's like, oh man, that's due today, right? It's like, this comes so quickly, right? And uh, that speech that you had to give. You had too much to prepare for. And then it's like there the next day. I'm thinking about time and its ramifications Because of the context of our passage today. And for for uh, for the most part. um, Time must have slowed down like a snail's pace. For the nation of Israel at this time. That Luke's writing about. And as we read Genesis. And, did, and I'm assuming you know some of this from Genesis, but God's perfect creation was ruined and broken by mankind's sin and rebellion against God. This creation was cursed. We experience that today. But God didn't just leave us there, and that place. God's promise. A promise came to Abraham years late, late, uh, later that through his seed, the world would be redeemed and renewed. That through the promised Messiah that would come out of the line of David, this Messiah would come and save his people and renew the world. And this promise to Abraham was thousands and thousands of years, years, even before this time he was writing about. It. And then the gap between the Old and the New Testament, there's 400 years of complete silence when God's people don't hear anything from God. Just crickets, silence for 400 years. It's like 15 to 20 generations of people lived and died over this time. It's been a long time. And for a few, for a remnant, probably the rest of them kind of just wrote it off, right? They're just going to live their secular lives. But for a remnant, for a small few, there's this great pent-up expectation that God is going to show up some time and years. Now, on the other side of the coin, time must have been flying by in a sense. Might have been coming too quick for Israel. You know, how, how often how quickly they were reminded of who they presently were. Right? A conquered people. Reminded as they paid taxes to the Romans that they were subject to them. Um, walking to work in the shadows of soldiers up on horses, kind of allowing them to go about their daily lives. In a macro sense, they're looking out at a broken world, right? Death and destruction and wars and insurrections have been crushed by the Romans. All of this is reminding Israel, in fact, that they are barren. Israel, the nation, is barren to produce the very Messiah that they have been waiting for. And it's very dark times for Israel and times that are slow and times that are coming ever so quickly at them, reminding them of what position they are in in the world in this time. And it's dark. And as Pastor David said, we're at the dawn of redeeming grace here in Scripture. When the Lord breaks through the long darkness and He does it today, we'll see in the most surprising way and wondrous of ways. We'll see the grace breaks in on righteous sufferers, on praying unbelief, and on public shame. Now, as a pastor, I've had like, many, many opportunities over the years to, to counsel. You yeah, know, we all need, them. I need counsel. Thank you, thank you, Pastor Norris. You know, I always go to different parts of the counsel, right, or Pastor May, or Pastor David. And I had the opportunity to sit down with people and need counseling, and I remember this one gentleman at a previous church just over a decade ago, this person took me aside, we met at coffee or something, and he says, he says to me, he says, Reverend Nate, and he gets the title right, right? He says, says Reverend Nate, since, since I became a Christian, I've lived a good Christian life. You know, he didn't say it exactly this way, but what he's getting at is saying I've been faithful, faithful to my kids, faithful to my work, I've been faithful to my wife, loving, gracious. But no matter how hard I work, my family can barely get by financially. My business struggles. I struggle with physical pain. I'm not getting any younger. And this part, this part actually threw me off, I'm not distracted you get the heart of the guy. He, this is great, to sat down with him counseling. Because he goes, he said, in fact, like when it comes to tithing, I got no money. And so I've been tithing with my credit card. And I, I thought, okay, wait a second. Like, like, are you trying to get points here? Like, are you trying to get airline miles? Or, like, think, I mean, I get that, it's fine, it's probably Mase. I, I don't know, man. But no, this guy was literally going in debt on a credit card Just wanting and yearning to see the blessings of God in his life. Now, there's a whole can of worms there, right? And I I just told him, hey, just stop that. Don't don't do that anymore. Let's talk later, right? But to some of what he was actually getting at in totality is saying, why am I suffering when I've been doing all that I can? I've been living a good life. Why am I suffering? And I think most of us at times in our lives have been there, right? To one degree or another. Lord, I've been doing my best. I've been doing the work. And i am reminded the movie, what about Bob, right? I've been baby-stepping, right? I'm doing the work, I'm not a slacker, right? But Lord, why? why? Why are things like this? Why did that relationship blow up? Why did I lose my job? Why did I lose my friend? Why is my health failing? Why did the house fall through? Where's my blessing, Lord? You know I'm doing my part. When are you gonna do yours, Lord? And some of this reminds me of the prophet Jeremiah, right? Why do they leak out? Why do they prosper? Why do the faithless live in peace? And this is the rub. This is the hard part to be comfortable with. To live in the now, but not yet as Christians. To have a posture that says, your will, Lord, not mine. This is exactly where you find Zechariah and Elizabeth this morning. Look at verse 5. In the days of Aaron, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah in the division of Abijah. And he had a wife and the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Good job! The Sinai Covenant. Great job, guys. And they were blameless. And I don't get why pastors struggle with this so much. This is what Luke writes. The, the King James they were righteous. And they were, they were righteous according to the law of blameless, and I don't have a problem with it because they were under the Sinai Covenant. We've been discussing all this stuff in the, in the book of Galatians, right? Sinai covenant, the law covenant is a non-justifying covenant. Read Galatians, talk to Pastor Norris or me or David. How can you get to do them and us? You know the David, right? Um, these were good covenant-keeping Jews who did the law right. They were just simply good people. Now on a side note, and I don't want to diminish from the, you know the righteousness of right and Elizabeth here, but in my experience in churches is we, we have actually there are Christians that like for some reason either they're disciplined or just determined. They just got they just keep it all together. I, I don't I do I don't get it. I know we strive for it, but there are just some people that just can keep everything together, and they're great to have around, especially but that seems a distracting here, but Zachariah, Elizabeth, great job you two, right? You're righteous. Great job. Now enjoy the blessings stored up for you. Oh wait, just kidding. You've done everything right. Now go enjoy a life of suffering plagued by people who Look at verse 6 again. Walking blamelessly in all the commands and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Yikes. It's like, what? Childlessness is heavy. You know, it's a heavy weight to carry even in our time. But particularly in Zachariah. heavy on them. They would have seen them as not blessed, as less than, unable to carry on their family line. This was a bad spot to be in. They would have been seen negatively. And not just for a few years, for a very long time, for Luke writes that they were advanced in years. So it's like, what's the deal? Why the suffering? Why the pain? Why the hardship? I've given my life to Christ. Shouldn't things get better for me? Well, let me say a few things about this. First, first, God is not a cosmic vending machine, okay? You know, I don't, I don't go up to God and I put the dollar in all oh, it's in the wrong way. I flip it over, you know, head up, I get it in the right way, and then I choose what I want. I go through this, that, and the other thing, then God will give me what I want. Well, that sounds more like you God, or I'm God. And we do this, we see this. There's times in our lives where we say, God, I've done this, that, and the other thing, and you are not showing up. We kind of position, God, We leverage him. We give him a spot, we back him into the corner by doing this, this, and this, and then my husband's gonna just be amazing. Right, God? Oh no, another week and he's a jerk again. What's going on here, Lord? God is not a cosmic vending machine where we do this, this, and this and get what we want. He's God. You are not. And He has His own purposes and His own will. Secondly, I don't even know where I am right now, right? Secondly, we have got to remember that suffering is built in. It's part of God's plan to redeem and shape His people. This is why Paul writes in Romans 5, 3-5. There's something... There's something, we do some damage here, brothers and sisters, when we try to avoid suffering. There's nothing to avoid. It's part of God's plan. His hand is in all of it. And there's nothing that gets by Him. Paul writes this. He says that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not us to shame, or put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. James writes this, Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And And let steadfastness have its full effect. that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Suffering is built in. And it's for your good, Christian. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, for all things work together for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, I get this one, too. Well, is God punishing me? No. He's not punishing you. Now, I leave some room in there for God's loving, kind, life-giving discipline. But Christian, you have been absolutely... Deceived if you think that God is arbitrarily after you like some drunk parent wanting you to suffer. Those are lies from the devil. God loves you and disciplines you perfectly. One author writes this, He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He doesn't lash out the way that many of our parents did. And all this restraint on his part is not because he has, dilute, has some deluded view of our sinfulness. He knows our sinfulness far more deeply than we do. Indeed, we are aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our depravity. In our most searching moments of self-knowledge, his restraint simply flows from his tender heart for his people. It's beautiful. Well, I don't deserve this. Yeah, so maybe, you might say, maybe not. But the reality, Pastor David spoke to this just now, the reality is we live in a broken world and there's cosmic and macro consequences that affect micro you. You are part of a family, you are part of a people, and you're reaping the consequences, yes, of your own sin. And guess what? The sin of those before you because you are an individual but you're not alone. You're part of a people. Just think of the church. The church, we suffer. Pastor David just said it. We suffer and we pray together as a people. We think of the pastor in Ventura. What they are suffering, we suffer because we are part of a people. But fortunately, God redeems people through person, right? And we've all said these things. I don't think I deserve this. I don't deserve to be sick. I don't deserve to be abandoned and mistreated. And again, you probably don't. Maybe you don't deserve it. But here's the great news, and I really believe this. God will take up all the injustices, all the suffering that we are going through, for you, for me, the tears, the pain, and He will gather it up in eternity and somehow turn that into a greater glory for His glory and for our glory. Because God is amazing and there's nothing wasted with God ever. For all things work together for the good of those who love God. And lastly, we've got to remember suffering Supper's chapter. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 4? Our momentary affliction preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Romans 21, right? You will wipe away every tear from their eyes. But Pastor Nate, I'm in pain now. I'm barren now, Pastor Nate. My friend died yesterday. My marriage is falling apart now you, what do you have for me now? I get it. But let me offer you two things. One word, one of work, and one of substance. First, let me remind you of who Jesus is. Brothers and sisters, lived this fall in your ears. That same pastor writes this that I quoted before. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible loneliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us up into his tender embrace. It's his very heart. It's what gets him out of bed in the morning. Wow. And here's something of substance. I mean, we, we throw out words, and that's a powerful word, but I need something physical. Well, brothers and sisters, it's right in front of you. Jesus offers himself in his word, and he offers himself to the broken, to the lonely, to those suffering today, right here at his table. It's ordinary, it's easy, but it's deep, it's simple, but it's powerful, but it's right here where He is present, where God's people are present, God's people that ought to know each and every one of you, to come alongside you, to hug you, to pass the peace of Christ to suffering Christians that happens every Sunday right here to get you through another it's not just remembrance there's more here for you brothers and sisters and God does extraordinary things through ordinary means that lay right in front of you and I pray that today you come forward and you find rest and renewal here at the table and now in our passage we see that the macro The macro, the light of the micro, right? Israel is barren and reminded of it daily. Elizabeth is barren and reminded of it daily. Every time she walks down the street and sees the kids playing, right? mother feeding her child, or that first century stroller, which I'm not even sure what that looked like, right? She's reminded every time the story of Hannah is read in the synagogue. You gotta imagine, you know. Forty years prior to this, yeah, maybe it gave her some hope, right? Just imagine, listen to his prayers. You know what? I'll, I'll, give them to you, Lord. Just give me a child. I'll give, just like Hannah. I'll do it. The silence, nothing, and what was, what was a means of like to help her through a day, all of a sudden becomes like a terrible weight. Years and years pass as she hears a story that isn't filled in her own life. You know, I can hear her. I can hear her talking to Zachariah. You know, I just go to the synagogue. I don't know if she called him Zach or what I was You know, Zach, right? You should have seen how they looked at me again when I was red. Their disapproval, their judging eyes, their faces, their head shaking, their reproach, You know, what a wait for Elizabeth. And yet there's differences here, right? There's differences between Elizabeth and the nation of Israel. Israel's been a lot of things, but they haven't been righteous. Right? But Zachariah and Elizabeth are righteous. And it's crazy with God because a lot seems familiar here, but not everything's the same. And yet grace is breaking in on righteous sufferers, and the micro story of Elizabeth. And Zechariah will end up benefiting the matter Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So Zechariah is a priest. He's from, he's from the line of, of Aaron, right? And at this time in, in Israel's history, there was a ton of priests. You know, it's like kids who were sold everywhere, right? And I, I wouldn't have any different. Amazing, but just that he's chosen here, he's chosen by Lot. That's not some dude Lot, Lot's along the people, right? It's they, they cast they cast dice, and he is chosen to come and work at the temple this day. And where he's moving into the temple, you feel the temple court, and then you see the temple structure. The altar of incense is in the only place which is right outside the Holy of Holies. And the altar of incense is sitting. Uh, from what I've seen right there in front of the veil of the temple that's only passed through once a year. And so Zechariah Zachari- uh, is there to offer incense to God. Guess what happens when we burn incense? The smoke rises up. which is a picture of the prayers of God's people. Intercessory prayers right of Zechariah on behalf of the nation. The nation is floating up to God. It's all about prayer here. Now, my, my family, we're not a fan, at least that I know of, of scary movies. Like, especially Gina, my wife, she cannot not stand scary movies. That's probably because she already has a lot of anxiety You know, being married to me and the kids having, like, my code or something. Um, but she can't stand, like, scary movies. And there's something to be said about, like, knowing when, something is coming in a scary movie. I mean, it's almost better when you're like totally surprised than when you're like, oh no, that music, and I can tell where they are, I know something's gonna happen, it's building up, you know And they like, don't get you? And then they get you, right? And you're like, I wish they would've just like, got me without the pent up waiting, right? I think that's somewhat probably, I'm oh, making this up, uh, but I think that's probably what Zachariah felt here, right, with Gabriel. It's like, it's like, he's there offering incense. It's like, boom! And he's probably like, oh my gosh. He's like, dude. I know it's dude. But it's like, he's like, of all places, I would have totally expected you to be here right now in the temple. It's gonna happen anywhere, right? And he's just like totally freaked out and scared, right? And um so he was terrified, and I would be as well. Look at verse thirteen. When the angel said to him, "Fear not, a Zachariah, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and he call be name John." This one kind of makes me up a bit, but I really believe that Zach- Zachariah's prayers here—not actually here, but prayers in the past—were being granted in the present. You know, I don't think that Zachariah was in the temple interceding for himself here. He's older, right? His prayers for his son were probably long in the past. He's old. His role right now as a priest is to intercede for the nation of Israel for the nations here at the altar of incense. And so I really believe that God here is picking up prayers that he had long forgotten in the past and bring filling in the future. Pretty amazing, right? God is going to answer Zachariah's present intercessory prayers for the nation and the nations through granting him his past personal prayers. Wow. And so Gabriel tells him the good news that Elizabeth, the barren son, and good old, righteous Zachariah me, Gabriel, and all was well on the earth. Let's pray. Right? Nope. Curveball, right? You can't make this stuff up. Zachariah, the president of like the Sinai or Die Club, right? Totally crashes and burns right here in unbelief. And we get a little glimpse. Zachariah Zachariah's like Doesn't believe God. It's like what? I mean, of all the places to not believe God, you're in the temple. Gabriel's there, right? And you know it's a hard issue because Mary questions Gabriel as well. In the coming weeks, you'll see that, but she isn't punished. And so you know it's a hard issue. It's unbelief here. And you're like, but Pastor Nate, I thought this was like a you know, like Zachariah sermon. Nope. There's a lot of good here in Zachariah, right? But Zachariah isn't our hope. Just like Abraham is in our hope. Just like David is in our hope. Jesus is our only hope. And Luke is making it clear here of Zechariah's status before the Lord. He's making it very clear who he is. He's favored and love and discipline. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words which will be filled in their time. Did you see it? Did you catch, catch it? The grace of God breaks in. I'm praying on me here. This is the heart of God for his people. For those that don't have it all together. This is Zachariah is right? his favor, his love, and his discipline, And what's amazing is his very discipline, right? It's gracious discipline. It's discipline that's a clear sign that what Gabriel said is actually going to happen. So while he's being disciplined, he's being assured. And there's a whole sermon here on why you have to discipline kids, right? It's amazing. This is our God. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding instead. steadfast in love. And God's ways surprise us again here. Look, we wouldn't go about things this way, right? You would have Zachariah come out of the temple and start promoting the fact that John the Baptist is coming. But God doesn't do this. God's economy is not our economy. It's more beautiful. It's more wondrous. In fact, the very silence of Zachariah must have been deafening. You know, he was so quiet. We read about in the coming weeks with the arrival of John the Baptist with his birth. He just thundered and broke out in praise when it happened. And we learn that sometimes silence is louder than lonely. Head to right? It seems upside down. That's how God's kingdom is. It's upside down. And that's how God is breaking in. He comes in weakness, not in strength. He comes humble, not with power. He comes as a human baby. And you will begin to establish this kingdom, the kingdom of God quietly. Remember Jesus? Shh. Don't tell him what I see. Don't tell him. They all want to told, but don't tell him. Don't tell them about your name, right? And we find ourselves surprised and in wonder of our God. Just like the psalmist did in Psalm 145, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty. Acts, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Here we sing. on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. That's so weird. this might be frustrating for some of you. Actually, I doubt any of you, But all those other people out there, it's probably frustrating for me. You can't reduce God-like balance, the lowest common denominator. You can't do it. Just when you think you've got his number, you're wrong, you're off, you missed. And just when you think that suffering is unjust and a curse, you realize, it was a blessing. We'll see a bit of this right here. as grace breaks through of public shame. Look at verse twenty-four. After these days, his wife the you know, conceived. And five months after so, hidden, saying, "Thus the Lord has done for me, in days when he looked upon me, to take away my reproach among people." You know, as we've to cover this real hurt here for Zachariah and Elizabeth—long hurt, real suffering—and it's unfair. It's not deserved. It has been a long time coming for these two very good people. And we're reminded that God often does act now. Many of you guys have seen God's present work now in your personal lives, in the lives of family members, in the lives of neighbors and friends. God redeems and mends things now lives have changed in the present side. I've been really convicted this last year because I got into in the mode of saying something. And it's something I was saying that I started believing. Let that be a warning to you. But I found myself in this protection, I don't know, but I found myself saying, you know what, people just don't change. That's how it is. That's how we're going to be. Brothers and sisters, that's completely contrary to who we are as a people. There is no gospel goodness in what I just said, the way I was talking, what I was believing last year. God changes lives, redeems lives now. And we ought to, as believers, Believers that have been changed and redeemed and are being molded. ever so slowly, some of you will move an inch your whole lives. But you move an inch, right? You live as expectant people, both expecting God to act now in ourselves and with each other and expecting Him to come again and renew all that is broken. And then all has been wrong. And this is what God does here for Elizabeth. He breaks through the darkness and takes away her reproach among the people. And what a blessing. It's good good for them. But what was the blessing? What was the blessing here? Was it John's birth or something else? The answer is yes. Look at verse 13. Verse 15 says this. She will bury a son, you shall call his name John. Now watch this, guys. Watch this. Right, look at your Bible. Verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness. Why? Just because you're, you're going to have a son? No. Look at verse 15. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 16. And many of the children of Israel he shall turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him the power, the spirit and power of life to turn Ready for people prepared for the Lord. So I ask again, what? Where, what is the blessing? What is the blessing here? Well, it's two things that go hand in hand. Zachariah's and Elizabeth's prayer for a son was continually desired and seen in light of the greater good of the kingdom of God. Because he ends up living in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey, he's not any of those things. And then imagine if all, everything was just about having a son, the devastating news of finding out that the son could be heaven. It's devastating. Look, without the desires for God's glory and the furtherment of the kingdom, what you thought was a blessing just became an absolute curse. And it's the way it is for all of us. Your marriage, your job, your school, your kids, your health, your house, your stuff, any of it and all of it very easily becomes a curse when not seen, loved and cherished in light of the kingdom of God. And that's why we pray that keep him coming. That will be done. You can never lose that way. And here's another category. Watch this. More than likely, Zachariah and Elizabeth never had to bear the news of their son's death. Because they were long dead. And all of a sudden, the suffering of having to wait. It's a blessing to them. You can't make this stuff up. different in the sense that you are part of a larger story. God takes up our uneven micro stories to accomplish his will regarding the restoration of all things. You can't control him. You can't manipulate him. His ways are far greater than ours. Now my prayer this Christmas season for us, brothers and sisters, is that whether time is passing by quickly or slowly for you, we take the time given in suffering or not to meditate on the amazing grace of God for righteous sufferers praying unbelief and all of us of reproach that we meditate and talk about God's surprising and wonderful wonderful words both in scripture and in our own uneven lives Look our lives are in in faith are uneven times but not uneven to God and God looks upon his mixed people his messed up people with gladness finding joy in our expectant waiting for him to act in unexpected ways our stories are part of the large story of God renewing the world through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ applied by the Holy Spirit through faith to the glory of God, with which we shall all say, in praise and adoration, look at what the Lord has done for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the Word. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Help us be a light to a dark world to live out our unhuman lives. I to be you who are at all. Okay. loving me please sing a prayer.